So Mark kicked off this series speaking on chapter one, and it was entitled Foundations, and he gave the historical context of the Babylonian exile. And so we came to understand why Nehemiah was in the citadel of Susa and cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And in that talk, he also asked us to remember the chair. Do you remember him asking you to remember the chair? Well, that was, of course, a reference to the rock project. Because we are reaching a crucial stage with the Rock Project, uh, our own building project here at All Saints. And I will be referring to that later on in the talk. And it, I, th I think actually it's important to remember that there are some people, not necessarily in this group, who don't know what Rock means. So in case there are, I'm just going to say that Rock is an acronym. And it stands for Reimagining Our Church for the Kingdom. So it's become shorthand that we're all familiar with, but there are maybe some people who don't know what rock means, so that's what it is, reimagining our church for the kingdom. And it's a building program. It's a, a program of reordering the interior of the church, but also hoping to build a small extension at the side here so we can offer a, a new welcoming area that's accessible and easy to get into. So Nehemiah was in exile but like so many of his countrymen, he'd risen to a position of trust and high rank, presumably because King Artaxerxes saw in him the qualities that still draw us to Nehemiah today. He was a man of utmost integrity. He was a man that you could trust. And actually, it's quite interesting to note that since I've been preparing this talk, and it has been following me around for quite some time, how many people have said to me something along the lines of, oh, I love Nehemiah. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. And this is a great book. I mean, we're on chapter three, but I mean, read the whole book. It's a, it's a really good read. It's fast and it's pacey. I mean, chapter three is probably the trickiest of all of the chapters, but the language is straightforward and it's action packed. And it is, it's a great book. And chapter 3 records in very great detail which parts of the walls were rebuilt by whom. Uh, it's a long list of names and places, but actually I really like that because that detail makes it really personal. It's a great illustration too of the teamwork that must have taken place to make this task possible. And they, it says that they rebuilt the walls in 52 days, which is quite extraordinary. And chapters 1 and 2 tell of the miraculous sequence of events that brought Nehemiah to Jerusalem and his secret nighttime survey of the walls. But from the moment at the end of chapter 2 when the people responded by saying, let us rebuild the walls, it was all action. One of the things I really love about this list of participants is how democratic it is. They were all in it together. It wasn't just a group of stonemasons and laborers that undertook this work. Among the lists of people, and you probably picked it up because I heard a little murmur there, there were goldsmiths and perfume makers and priests and, yes, daughters. I think that's absolute. Yes, thank you. I think it's absolutely brilliant that the women were out there getting stuck in. And not only were they out there, but it was actually recorded, which is very encouraging. Uh, and towards the end of this chapter, there are many instances of people repairing the sections of walls directly opposite their house or living quarters. And that's practical and pragmatic. There were some who felt that the work was beneath them. Notably, verse 5 says, the next section of the wall was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. 
then in fact the nobles and officials don't necessarily come out of this story very well. And if you look ahead into chapter 5, you'll see that Nehemiah, later on in this process, had to tackle corruption and usury amongst his own people. And because this is such a great story, it is tempting to sneak ahead to the next couple of chapters and look at the brilliant ways in which Nehemiah encouraged his people to take on this task and then to go on and how to protect themselves from attack. But that's someone else's sermon, so I shall leave that. But suffice to say that Nehemiah must have been an extraordinarily charismatic man, a great team leader who was able to pull together a disaffected and disconnected people to come together to undertake this task. And it's worth remembering here that the Babylonian exile wasn't like the previous exile in the time of Moses. The people weren't enslaved in Babylon. They'd actually settled in quite nicely, thank you. They'd built businesses there and were frankly quite reluctant to come back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to return to that broken down city. And those who had returned preferred to live outside of the city because the walls and the gates were broken down. They preferred to live outside the city in the countryside because it was safer. So Nehemiah had the additional task of trying to persuade his people to come back, to come back from exile, to come in from the countryside, to settle in the city, and then to start rebuilding the walls. He wasn't just a rebuilder. Nehemiah was a reformer. But of course, he was God's man. He was God's man for that moment. He was a man of integrity, a prayerful and practical man with a can-do attitude, a man of faith. And talking of faith, I don't know if any of you listen to Desert Island Discs. Yes, I see nods. It's an absolute favorite of mine. And I was fortunate enough the other day to be driving. I was on a car journey uh, when Desert Island Discs came on, so I was able to listen to the whole episode. And it was the one featuring Sunita Alain. I don't know if any of you heard it. She made history recently when she became Master of Jesus College, Cambridge. And that was a post previously held by Ian White. Some of you may remember Ian. He used to worship in this church, and he's now Vice-Chancellor of Bath University. Sunita Elaine was the first woman to hold the post, and the clue is in the word master. And she was the first black master of any Oxbridge college. And she's a charismatic and attractive character, really easy to listen to. And she, stole, she told the story of how her family had emigrated from Barbados and settled in Walthamstow. And Lauren Laverne asked her if growing up, how she'd, and how she'd managed when she'd encountered barriers. And her answer really struck me. In fact, she didn't even seem to understand the question as it was put to her. She said, and, this is, and I'm quoting, she said, barriers, you overcome them. You swerve around them as they flow past you in the flow of life. You don't think of the things you didn't do. And later in that interview, she talked about how she coped as one of the very few non-white, non-middle-class undergraduates at Cambridge. And she coped by joining everything that she could. Clubs, bands, societies. And she summed up by saying, life is sometimes more exciting when you say yes. And it struck me that she and Nehemiah would have really liked one another. 
When challenges arose, they faced them with absolute positivity and practicality and dedication, and, and importantly, without being defensive or cynical. Now, I've no idea whether Sunita Alain has any faith, but we know that Nehemiah's faith was at the heart of absolutely everything he did. And this is at the heart of what I want to draw out of this passage. In addition to his obvious natural skills and talents, Nehemiah was a man who cared deeply about the honor and reputation of God. And everything he did, he didn't do it for himself, but for the honor of God and his people. And when the news arrived from Judah of the abject state of Jerusalem and its people, he cared enough to do something. But practical as he was, able and capable as he was in human terms, he began with prayer. And not just prayer, he began with prayer and repentance. God loves our plans sometimes, but he cares more about our hearts. He cares much more about our hearts. And if you were to look again at chapter 1, I believe verse 4 tells us so much about this man. Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then, and then he prayed that amazing prayer where he praises God. He reminds him of his covenant with his people. He pleads and almost demands God's attention. He repents on behalf of himself and his father's house and the Israelites. And he goes on to remind God of his judgments and his promises, and then he asks for his provision. It's an absolutely brilliant model of prayer. And in fact, it's more of a proclamation. And how did, my, you know, how did Nehemiah have the confidence to, be, to come before God with that proclamation of prayer? It's because he just spent days weeping and mourning and fasting. And we can all learn a lesson from Nehemiah. God knew his heart... God placed him there for that moment, and God was always going to say yes. And I think this is where I'd like to reflect just for a moment on the rock project and to suggest that everything, and I do mean everything that we undertake, needs to come out of a heart of love and honor for God and his people. I think, as you probably know, the rock journey has been a long one. And I've been part of it from the start. I was looking at the rock page on the All Saints website recently. It's a really brilliant resource. It's been updated uh, quite recently, and it's full of information about the project. And it also gives you access to all of the reports and consultations that, that have been done over the years. And there are a lot of them. And I noticed that the first report that the team made was back in 2013. Gary's there looking at me now. <laughs> It was a long time. Uh, and we'd already had eight meetings at that point. And the first paragraph of the report was the stated hope that the new and renewed building should be a sign of God's activity in the world. And as we all know, the journey has had its ups and downs, highs and lows. Highs for me have been visiting churches across the country and seeing how it in extraordinarily creative, practical, and sacrificial ways, 
faithful people have transformed their church buildings. And I'll never forget something that a church member in Hereford said to me on one of those early visits. He'd been part of the team that had helped to, to drive this project through. And he, he looked me straight in the eye. He said, this won't be a journey of finance. This will be a journey of faith. And that has really stayed with me. And as an artist, I've really enjoyed exploring ways in which we might make this building more beautiful, more functional and accessible. And the plaques around the wall have been quite, this is quite daring here, I'm talking about the plaques. They have been quite a bone of contention. And at times I've been troubled by them as memorials to wealth and status. But recently I, I have been seeing them through a different lens. More as a reminder of the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. Those who have worshipped here, who've loved this place and invested in it in this building and in, and in its people for hundreds of years. And I was thinking, I wonder if there was a plaque for Nehemiah, what would it say? Maybe it would say, Nehemiah, a man after God's heart, who helped rebuild the walls. And if there was a plaque here for you, what would you like it to say? That's worth thinking about. I think I might like Rachel, Worshipped here for, oh, more years than I might care to remember. She loved this church. And I don't mean by that that I love the buildings. I mean that I love you. And whether you love the plaques or you really don't, it's good to remember those who have worshipped here before us and what they've given to the life and fabric of this church. But going back to the rock journey, of course, there have been lows. Not least the long and grinding and frustrating process of the planning application. And those on the rock team who have shown outstanding dedication and skill to keep this process going, not least Tom, who's not here today. He's having a very welcome week off, I should say. I salute you. I see Rosie there as well, a fellow team member. And I'd like to tell you about a moment in the process that I believe, and I think the whole rock team would agree, was really significant. And it's absolutely relevant to this passage. It was about a year ago, we'd hit another hurdle with the planning application, another negative response, another list of demands for ever more detailed and expensive reports and consultations. It's safe to say we were a bit fed up, possibly even grumpy probably quite indignant. And I believe God really spoke to us in that moment. He challenged us about our attitudes and our responses to the worldly stuff that was coming our way. It was a real in the world, but not of it moment. 2 Corinthians verse 3 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And yes, we were engaged in a frustrating and at times bewildering process. And let me tell you, navigating the planning process with a very conservative planning department is as frustrating as it gets. But aren't we supposed to be working to a different set of standards, answerable to a higher authority? And we always begin and end the rock meetings with prayer. But on this particular day, we really prayed and we began with repentance. We repented of our critical thoughts and words concerning individuals 
in the planning department. We repented of our pride and indignation and we asked God to bless the planning officers. And we surrendered our less than lovely attitudes and judgments. And let me tell you, the change was remarkable. Firstly, in us, because that prayer brought peace and it brought freedom and a timely reminder that God is in control of it all. But I think it also brought a tangible change in tone and attitude in at least one member of the planning committee. And we need to keep praying. As a church, we need to keep praying. We need you to pray with us. So we humbled ourselves and prayed, and Nehemiah began the process of rebuilding the walls by humbling himself and praying. And he also praised God because he loved and honored him. And isn't this at the very heart of everything we do here at All Saints? And if it isn't, why isn't it? We do it all for him. Not just the rock project, but the whole of our witness. Lord, it's you we adore. We do it all for you. And if, if not, what's the point? We'd just be clanging cymbals and resounding gongs, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And to bring that language up to date, we'd be at best ineffective and at worst hypocrites. I spend a lot of time with family and friends who aren't yet Christians, who are on somewhere on a faith journey. And I've heard so many stories of hurt and disappointment and disillusionment that have come out of experiences of religious people. And yes, churches that have honored God with their mouths, but their hearts were far from him. And people know the difference. They recognize truth and integrity, even if they can't articulate it. So it all has to flow out of love for him. Otherwise, it won't flow at all. So Nehemiah loved the Lord. And even though he was in exile, he prayed and repented, and then he used the skills and gifts that God had given him to get the job done. And as he went along, he prayed some more, and he never stopped praying. And God knew his heart, and he provided him miraculously with everything that he needed. And surely all of our greatest achievements, both great and small, will come out of a heart of love for God. And his love back to us. We honor him by offering us ourselves, all of ourselves, our dreams, our time, our skills, our gifts, our money. By offering it unreservedly to him in the face of a watching world. A world in which sometimes we feel like exiles. I mentioned earlier, as Mark mentioned earlier, that I'm normally a regular attender at the 6.30 service. And for several weeks now, the teaching in the evening services has been about worship. Week by week, we've been looking at what it means to worship God in every area of our lives. Not just an hour or so a week of sung worship and prayer, but a lifestyle of worship in which every aspect, every area of our lives is surrendered to God as an act of worship. Our homes, our families, our jobs, our meetings and encounters, our conversations, our leisure time, our heartache and our grief. And it's very challenging. And it occurred to me, I love it when all the teaching comes together and it starts to blend. It occurred to me that Nehemiah is a wonderful model of a true worshipper. He offered 
himself, the whole of himself to God, his skills, his time, his reputation, his safety, and above all, his heart. In all of his actions, he honored God. And we'll see more of what a man of integrity he really was as we get further into the book later on in the series. So keep listening because there's more to come. But for today, what can we take away from this? What can we take away and ponder? What can we learn from Nehemiah that is really relevant for here and now? Well, of course, we can draw parallels with the Rock Project. The walls of this building aren't breached, but they really need some TLC. And like generations of worshippers before us, if we could say, come, let us rebuild the walls, we will be investing in generations who will follow us. We can all play our part. We just need to have hearts open to God's prompting. I don't imagine that the perfume makers were the greatest at lugging rocks around, but they were in there giving it their best shot. We all have skills. We all have gifts. Every one of us has something to offer. And of course, as Tom pointed out last week, we can see this also in the context. This, we can see this challenge in the context of our everyday life. We can see it in the context of the challenges that we face every day, both large and small. And I'd like to ask you, and forgive me if this sounds like quite a personal question, but I've been thinking about it in my own life, and I wonder if if you recognize that there are parts of the walls of your lives that are broken down. And if there are, what does that look like? Well, for Nehemiah, it was an obvious construction project, but for us, it may be an unresolved issue in our life that means that God can't fully work through us. Maybe we hold unforgiveness against somebody else, or maybe we find it hard to forgive ourselves for something. Maybe there are issues in our life that aren't honoring to God, and they hinder his work in our lives and through it. Possibly we need to repent, just as the rock team did, of indignation or of taking offense. Change of any kind is challenging and the process requires real sensitivity and patience. For some of us, it might mean that we need to do a little gentle repointing. For some, there may be gaps in the walls that we really need help rebuilding. And help is all around. Help is at the front here. Help is in the pew sitting next to you. Help is only a prayer away. And no matter how long we've been Christians, it may be decades, it may be months or weeks, but it's good to remember that faith is a living thing. It needs to be stretched and tested in order to grow and flourish. And when trouble comes and when bad news arrives, and it inevitably does at times, how will we respond? Well, Nehemiah took himself off and he fasted and he wept, he wrestled, And he prayed. And we all know those times when we have to grit our teeth and wrestle with stuff, whether it's grief or anger or fear or shame. But something very special happened to Nehemiah during that time. And Nehemiah came out fighting. And by that, I mean he came before God and he prayed with authority and confidence, not as a beggar, 
but as a man who knew how to pray. And it's a model we can all learn from. Because Nehemiah was a man after God's heart. He honored God and so God could use him. And look how he used him. We're still talking about him now, two and a half thousand years later. And I'd like to just finish in prayer. Wonderful scripture. I'd like to just pray over you if that's okay. It's Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And Father, I just pray today that you would help us to come before you and give you all of ourselves, all that we are, so that you can use us. Amen.